Doctor Who episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode four, Arachnids in the UK. Directed by Sally Abrahamian and written by Chris Chibnall. IMDb is giving this a 6.4 and Rotten Tomatoes an 89%, both down from last week. They say, creepy, crawly, and chock full of first-class guest stars, this episode recalls the classic show and makes this feel more emotions than just fear. Some thought it was a return to form with classic Doctor Who sci-fi storylines, while others thought it lacked the heart of the previous episode. Well, every episode can't be like the last episode. People would stop watching. It's got to be a nice mixture. I actually thought this was exactly what we needed at this point in the series. The Doctor and crew coming together and battling a new unknown creature. That's classic Doctor Who. We had our... Deep Thinker, more emotional episode last time. This one, we got to have a lot of fun. It was more light and whimsical. And Halloween is here. It was perfect. Right. The exact right tone for Halloween. And it wasn't just that. They had the heart of the character development, the banter with Yaz's family, more of the backstory on our companions, the developing relationship with Graham and Ryan, and most importantly, all of them admitting to wanting more adventure with the Doctor. Yeah, I think Chibnall did a great job with setting the story straight for the rest of the season. It would get a little clunky if we're seven episodes in and everyone's thinking, are the companions just going along for the ride? One mistake after another. Don't they want to go home? She she never even asked them. This we know for sure they want to. And every person has their own legitimate reason why. It was also the first time we've seen the doctor sit down and explain to them a very real description and consequences of what this is going to be like and having our characters agree, not just the doctor saying, this is going to be a great adventure, come along, and then, (laughs) oh shit, what have I gotten myself into? I think further exploring all of the things we've been talking about with this new doctor, the increased humanity, heart, compassion. I said in previous episodes, I was enjoying it, but I was still kind of hanging on because it felt it was missing just a tiny bit of that Doctor Who essence. I'm so glad. I gave it until this episode. It was exactly what I've been waiting for. And now I feel I'm finally all in on this new series and this new Doctor. I have to agree. This episode was a perfect mixture of great villains and the human and the spiders, which we'll get into later. So many Doctor Who-isms, funny moments, family funny moments, which we've grown to love with Doctor Who, and really well-acted characters to surround our crew. But for some reason, not everyone agreed. The general consensus was people liked this less. And I guess, as we've been saying, everyone's in for Doctor Who for different reasons, right? This is why the balancing act, the mixture, is so difficult to get right. Some people love the stories set in the past that are more of the teaching kind. We confront historical figures, major moments. They're a little more serious, maybe a little more heavy and weighted. Others like the futuristic high sci-fi episodes where we traverse to different planets, meet different kinds of creatures. And then you have the added split of people who are longing for a return to form. Please give me enough of my old Doctor Who I can recognize here. That's probably us, maybe why we love this episode. Then there's a group of newcomers who don't really care about that in the callbacks. They just want an exciting new show that gets them hooked. I think depending on where you fall is going to dictate whether you preferred last episode or this one. Absolutely. And we were a little hard on last episode. Not to rehash it, but it wasn't the storyline that we didn't love. We loved the whole storyline, the heartfelt Rosa Parks. I think that was beautifully done. But what we were missing and we kept saying was the Doctor Who. And I think this was the perfect balance for it. Yeah, I wonder about the timing of the episodes just for me personally. Perhaps if this had been number three and Rosa Parks had been number four. But again, your barometer could range on that. I think that Chibnall is doing a great job trying to cater to all of those audiences. I agree with you. It's quite a predicament to be in. You have an army of people who are Whovians. Then you have 
the new group of people that are coming on to it and all the other ones around there. How do you keep everyone happy? This is a difficult task, and I think he's doing a good job episode per episode. And I do have to say, maybe I was a little hard on my issue with the companions not changing clothes. I understand that there's been many times where the companions or companion did not change their clothes to blend into the time frame that they were in. Maybe it was the fact that they were in the 50s that really stood out to me with how careful they had to be with what they were saying, what they were doing, where they were going. That the fact that they could just wear 2018 clothing, I guess, got under my skin a little more than it should have. Well, I don't want to harp on this because if people were frustrated, we went on so long. Now we're continuing to talk about it. Just two quick things to say and we'll move on. I could be misremembering. I had thought times in the past where they did not alter their appearance, it was because they had some sort of perception filter on them. And I think maybe that was powered by the TARDIS, but others would see them as being appropriately dressed, even though they weren't. And I don't think they made mention of that in this episode, although if they did, that would perfectly explain it and were totally wrong. For me, it was a combination of that plus the doctor not kind of explaining to them even more so. And we do get that here in this episode. That makes me feel a lot more comfortable about it. can't believe you're saying comfortable when we're talking about giant spiders. Yeah, this episode, the doctor and her companions find their way back to Sheffield only to realize something is stirring amidst the arachnid population. If you had arachnophobia, this would not have been the episode for you. And of all my phobias and bug fears, it doesn't really extend to spiders, so I wasn't terrified this episode. I did think they did a good job. There was varying opinions on the depictions of the spiders because they were so clearly heavily CGI, but I thought they looked great. I thought they looked great as well. They didn't look so fake where it just took you out of it. There could have been more texture, but you know what? Now we're just being picky. I thought they looked really menacing. They looked scary enough. I (laughs) could imagine myself in front of one of those things and freaking out. I mean, giant spiders are hard to get right. I've seen some done very wrong before, and they look incredibly silly. You know what would have been a funny Doctor Who joke moment is if Ryan said something like, I always wondered why they don't do this in the horror movies. Just kick him. And he goes and tries to kick it and then it grabs onto his leg and then the doctor has to help him. And then he goes, oh, that's why. Or something, you know, it's not funny when I say it, but that would be a comical moment. I thought he should have made a Ron Weasley reference. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that would have been funny. What, just like It's Aragog. Oh, no, you can't say that, but yeah. We are going to talk about some of the facts, too, regarding spiders. Were they scientifically accurate with this episode? First, just a couple of quick fun facts. The doctor mentioned about her sisters in this episode, which brought up a few questions. Is she talking about real sisters? We know she's discussed family before. That could be something we're coming back around to. But the reference here was to the fact that she used to be a sister in an aqua hospital that turned out to be a training camp for the Quistin Calcium Assassins. I don't even know how to pronounce that. I don't think I saw that episode. The QCA. Duh. Okay, there we go. There were quite a few pop culture references, including a mention of Ed Sheeran, I thought was really funny, and Edith Wharton, who, if you're not familiar, wrote 16 novels between the years of 1902 to 1932. And actually, one of them won the Pulitzer Prize, Age of Innocence. And then, of course, we had, in the music, a 2015 underground hit, Know Me, by Stormzy. Is that the one that Ryan was bumping? Yes. (laughs) I have some thoughts on that, but we'll talk about it when we get there. And for accuracy, they consulted with a renowned zoologist and conservationist for the episode, Dr. Neil Doran. Now, this brought up a lot of questions from fans. You know, things like, would vinegar actually keep spiders away? Do they keep growing forever? I was intrigued to find out what those answers were. So I did a little research, and there was an amazing interview on Radiotimes.com with Lawrence B., a British Arachnological Society spokesperson. So I'm completely crediting them for this. Of course, I googled a little further on my own because it got me interested But some of the main points that they asked. Number one, can spiders really smell with their legs? The answer is sort of. They have hairs on their legs that pick up information, but it's different to our sense of smell, the way we think of it. It's called a chemotactile sense, and that means they can sense chemical changes in their environment. Wow. 
it's like a completely different sensory organ to anything we have. As of yet. Correct. I wonder if certain insects' antenna oh, for sure. do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right? The cat's whiskers. It's similar. It doesn't detect chemicals, but mm-hmm. it detects changes in the, in the environment. environment. Number two, do spiders hate the smell of garlic and vinegar? Would it keep them away? No, only vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know that they are reported to be home remedies. There's a lot of different things, you know, put down crushed red pepper to keep ants from getting into your doorways, put down vinegar for other crawling insects. We've done that with little ants and it works. Yeah, baby ants. It's temporary though. It's not permanent and you quite literally have to drown them in it in order for them to die, which B was saying is very similar in this circumstance. They wouldn't survive if immersed in the vinegar, and they would, of course, avoid harmful things. They prefer to be on a dry surface for ease of movement. But a line of droplets probably wouldn't have much of an effect, especially on a spider that size. I was thinking that too, but it made for a great scene where the spider just stops there and the doctor can talk to it. When you said spiders like to be on dry ground for movement, I immediately remembered Harry Potter when the spider had roller skates on his feet. Yeah, when Ron was combating his Bogart spider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you guys can tell, we have Harry Potter on our mind because we will be reviewing Fantastic Beasts 2, and we can't wait. So it's coming it, up this month. It's a running love of ours, too. <laughs> I also thought that this whole garlic and vinegar thing was a further emphasis on the ingenuity of this doctor, the kind of... Do it yourself. I'm going to figure it out. And I really like that about her. Number three. At some point in the episode, the doctor made mention of 21 quadrillion spiders. <laughs> so they asked B, is this a realistic number? And he said, well, that's a huge number. Hmm. I don't know about that. But he's referencing the UK. So he talked about a hectare which is their form of measurement, that's equivalent to about 2.5 square acres. If you looked at a hectare of grassland in the UK, you might find about 2 million spiders or more. Now, granted, they're small, but they're still spiders. And research done in the US last year showed the amount of insects spiders consume annually throughout the planet was greater than the weight of the entire human population. Well, then 21 quadrillion makes sense. It could be up there. But you said consume. When I hear that word, I think eat. Yeah, the amount of insects that they that consume. That we eat? No, that the oh. spiders consume. Oh, okay. Annually, each year is greater than the weight of the entire human population. Wow. And that gives you an idea of exactly how many spiders are out there. Well, number four, they also said spider silk is as strong as steel, which is accurate if you look at the size. If you had a strand of silk as thick as a steel cable, it would be as strong, if not stronger. In fact, the U.S. has been experimenting recently with trying to artificially reproduce spider silk to weave as a material for bulletproof vests. Well, then how come if I have a silk shirt, I have to dry clean it? It's not spider silk. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I've heard from a very... Very smart person that is. If you weave dragline spider silk as thick as a pencil, it's strong enough to stop a plane in flight. Hmm? You're kidding. I'm not. I've had to deal with it. Well, me and Amelia Earhart. You'd like she's a right laugh. (laughs) Yeah, well, they were trying to show that it's all relative. You would have to have a certain amount of silk to make it as thick as, and then you could do proportionally. Right, so imagine that queen spider making a web. That is going to be as strong, and that's why we wouldn't be able to get out of it. Exactly. So B kept saying that you're trying to compare something that's fictional, sci-fi. But if you sort of extrapolate, if this were real and there were spiders that big, you know, a lot of this stuff would fall close to the mark. Number five, spiders never stop growing. All right, this one is false. Spiders will grow until they reach adult stage and then stop, which is generally a little shorter Their main purpose at that point becomes to reproduce. But in this hypothetical scenario, where they were genetically altered, exposed to toxic chemicals, they shed their skin, the growing stage would last longer. For real spiders, from the time they hatch from eggs, they go through a series of molts. 
So they shed their skin, they grow, and then the tissue hardens. If the growing stage was this prolonged and they were mutated, they would get very, very large, but that would not continue along indefinitely. However, the scientists referenced even before that, the experimentations they were doing with the lab spiders were genetically modifying them to live longer. Right. So then that age is longer too. Well, I mean, maybe they do grow because our noses and ears continue to grow even as we get old. No, it's the same thing. They Don't do, tell me it's not the but same. there's a limit for real life spiders. Yeah, of course. It, it, it does totally cease at some point. It has to because they wouldn't be able to survive if they had to sustain that much nutrients if they got too big. They made reference to that in this episode when they're talking about the mother spider. She had grown too large to breathe properly. If you look at insects in the wild, there's a point where they could grow too large to fly properly. So yeah, of course, we're looking at a fictional character with a ton of different elements thrown in, but they did try to get as close to being scientifically accurate in that hypothetical scenario as they could. And finally, number six, do vibrations draw spiders? The answer is sometimes. Yes, in real life, certain spiders find their food by vibration, but this is normally only through the silk in their webs. They will keep one leg on a strand of silk so that they can feel when an insect has been trapped. And they will perform that same process of going and wrapping them up in webbing to save them for food for later. Think of it as when you're fishing and you have your lure out there. And if you're one of those guys who are on a boat and you have like six, you cast them, you put them in that little boat thing. I don't own a boat, so I don't know what it's (laughs) called. And then once you see it start moving and vibrating, you grab that one because you got something. Or you feel a tug on the line. Exactly. Now, not all spiders hunt their prey this way, though. This only applies to web spinning spiders, which is a certain percentage of spider population. And again, only through the silk in their webs, they would not just be able to feel vibrations and come to it, say, from the ground. Yet again, though, going back to this scenario, if the spiders saw this entire building as their web, and they very well might in this episode, they would respond that way. I do have a question about that, but we'll save it till the end. (laughs) So that's your science lesson for today. Hopefully that was interesting. And again, credit to radiotimes.com. Well, let's jump into our new faces and places. We were introduced to Jack Robertson, played by Chris Noth. You probably know him for his roles in Sex in the City, The Good Wife, and other things. Here, he plays a businessman slash politician who owns a chain of hotels and is potentially running for presidency in 2020. The first scene that we had with him, we didn't know that he was the owner of the hotel yet. And I said to you, is he a politician? He just felt like one, didn't he? Oh, yeah. You could definitely tell he had that air. Chris Noth was awesome in this episode. Yes, people have talked about the fact he often plays quote-unquote unlikable characters, which is really difficult, and he does an excellent job at that. And what really appeals to me is we've been saying throughout these last three episodes that the bad guy wasn't interesting enough. Now we had two very interesting bad guys in this one episode. Yeah, well, what did you think about that? There were some people who thought it was a little too on the nose. The Trump references, he's a hotel magnate, has political ambitions, built-in panic rooms, there's even reference to Russian assassinations. I chalked it up to, in pop culture as of late, there are sort of nonstop jokes and references to Trump. I mean, it's kind of hard if you have this businessman slash politician to avoid those. Maybe it was a little heavy handed and a little too much, but on the whole, I liked his character. He was fun. After every scene, I verbally said, what an asshole. Mm-hmm. So he, he brought emotion out of me, as opposed to Crasco, where I was just like, what was that? Yeah, What's his deal? Very blah. <laughs> yeah. I also thought the fact that he sort of knew what was going on there, but didn't know the extent of the consequences, and also that he just walks away at the end of the episode scot-free, was realistic. It was realistic, but... The last four episodes with the bad guys, we really did not get any redemptions. No comeuppance yet. No, yet. But we don't know which one of these we're coming back around to, if not all of them. I think Robertson was wrapped up neatly enough that we don't need to revisit him unless they want to later on. But I am fully suspect that we are coming back to the Stenza and Crasco. For sure the Stenza. I was thinking Crasco, but I don't know. I'm not sure. 
maybe when they go back in time, that would be a good person that ends up thwarting them in some kind of capacity. Mm-hmm. With Robertson, you know what would be funny? The next time they go to current time, or maybe a little later, they see on TV he's arrested for something, and our girl Yaz makes a comment. That'd be funny. Yeah, unless they're trying to actually follow along with real U.S. events and he becomes president. Well, remember, he's not supposed to be Trump. He hates Trump. Yes. He's going to be the person after Trump. But he basically is within universe, you know. Well, moving along next, we had Frankie Ellish, who was Robertson's assistant. We didn't get to see too much of her. She was the only character I was a little bit unsure of because they opened up the episode with With her. her. Yeah. And it felt like she was going to be the one on to something, uncovering the secret, which she did. But we got about two minutes of screen time with her. Well, she knew the secret. But you mean like giving it to the masses? Yeah, she was filming it oh. when she was down there. And I'm liking the large array of strong women characters. I think that's definitely one of the themes of this season. Yeah, I kind of wanted to see Frankie and Nadia get over on Robertson a little at the end. Even if he winds up not getting the justice he deserves, at least for them to have some kind of final dig at him. Oh yeah, that would be great. And Nadia was one of my favorite characters of this episode. She was played by Shabna Gulati, best known for Coronation Street. She's, of course, Yaz's mother. <laughs> her mum. Her mum and general manager at the hotel. I loved her character. She was a mixture of strength, funny, just like her husband, and a little bit uh, in Yaz's business, but in a fun way. Oh, typical kind of overbearing mother. Yeah. You know, she meets the doctor and it's like, are you two dating? (laughs) And then she meets Ryan. Okay, well, then are you two dating? (laughs) Like just, you know, the parents that are always up in your business. Who are you dating now? When are you going to get married? While it was a brief glimpse into the further home life, the father, the sister, we got more with her mother. I know we have to be going back to them. People have said her character has echoes of other parents, of previous companions, such as Jackie Tyler. Absolutely, and that's why I love them. I think that works so well, and it felt real. It felt like a real family dynamic happening there that is the sort of further depth I have been looking for with Yaz as a character. I I still want more. Right. I still (laughs) want more and maybe just because we like her, but I think this was finally the episode where we got some of that development we've been asking for. Absolutely. I'm starting to feel that love that I used to always have with the companions. I love them all for all their separate quirks and strengths. Well, and then we had Kevin, another kind of minor character played by William Meredith. Unfortunately, he is sacrificed by Robertson. He primarily exists to... serve the character of Robertson, show us what an asshole he is, but it worked very well. And finally, Dr. Jade McIntyre, played by Tanya Fear, who is a zoologist studying arachnids. And her job was a lot of heavy lifting with exposition, but I thought it was handled quite well, and it meant that the doctor didn't need to be the one yet again explaining everything to the companions. It was nice to have that from an outside character. And in that way, we just got to see the relationship building more. The doctor was able to be more funny. So I can't wait to get to her jokes. Well, now we're going to get into our plot. We open up on a scary movie shot of dark halls inside this luxury hotel. I really like that. It was close shots of walls. Everything felt cramped, which gives you that anxiety. You were right on the rug until it opened up into that big room. Yeah, a little bit of the shining in the carpet patterns, very dimly lit. We're introduced to the owner, Jack Robertson, who we don't know much about at this point. He is ordering Frankie to make the problem disappear quickly. He then proceeds to fire Nadia, the general manager, who came in early to familiarize herself before the official opening. So right away, you know, Robertson is not a nice person. It's a quick and easy introduction to his character. And then we move over to seeing the TARDIS traveling through the time vortex. This is a brand new visual that we get, and it appears to be a whole series of wormholes they're traveling through. Yeah, and it resembles the opening title sequence. I really like that. That was kind of cool. Yeah, me too. Also, the doctor tells the group it's only been a half an hour Earth time since they left. See, this is nice because it lets the new, I almost said Clatchers, new Doctor Who watchers know what's going on. But also, it's kind of a wink-wink to old school Whovians because... 
the doctor would always mess that up. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically with Rose, he'd be like, you should be, it's 20 minutes later, but it's been like three or four months and his mother was freaking out. Her boyfriend was freaking out. Right. So was this coincidence or is this doctor more adept at navigating? I wouldn't say more adept. She looked like she was having trouble getting there. <laughs> yeah. And 14 times they tried to get back to <laughs> Sheffield. They're all saying an awkward goodbye when Yaz invites them to tea at her house, and they readily agree. You can see nobody really wants to break this up yet. That's another new thing. The fact that the doctor was excited to do that. Tea at Yaz's. I've never done that before. And she's stalling. You can see she really wants to say, come with me. Oh, I guess I'll go. I'm going alone on my adventure. It's also a reality check because when you're someone that basically you live forever, I know she doesn't, but especially compared to human lives, you do. You grow to love so many people and you see them die and you're alone again, constantly alone again. She doesn't want to be alone again. Not only that, she seems to have more of a fascination for human earthly things. I mean, she's enamored of the flat and talks about how she would love to get her own purple sofa just so (laughs) she could lay on a sofa for a while. They all head over there except Graham, who says he will meet them after first visiting his house. Once again, Graham really landing that emotional presence very well. Absolutely. Well, first we follow the doctor and Ryan going to meet Yaz's family. This is where the doctor comments on how she used to have sisters. And Ryan lets her know she needs to work on her small talk. Oh, this was so funny. We really got to see Jodie Whittaker shine as the doctor in this scene. Maybe I'm just socially awkward. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to do small talk. How am I doing? Like, no, it's weird. Oh, it was so funny. I love that. <laughs> we get a couple of lines from the other family members before Yaz's mother calls from work at the hotel and a worried Yaz goes to check on her. We cannot skip over the fact that Yaz's father is awesome. I love his humor. I love how he's trying. He's so loving, but he sucks at cooking. I love that he's a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And it actually kind of turns out to be true by the but, end of the episode. But he's also weird because why would you put the garbage in the kitchen? <laughs> It's evidence. (laughs) Perfect. And meanwhile, back at the house, Graham sees Grace telling him all the things he'll have to work out on his own now. It's incredibly sad, but also realistic, depicting that the grief process is going to take a long time for him to work through. And I thought it was poignant how they brought it back at the end. It's not exactly that he's running from dealing with it. He just knows that day-to-day life is not going to be the same. It's going to be depressing for a while. And it's good for him to have the opportunity to go off on these adventures while he continues to process it. And of course, while he's there, he starts to see the cobwebs and finds the giant body of a dead insect. It looks like the molting process that one of the spiders has gone through. Right. We also see a couple of tip-offs, like when the doctor walks into Yaz's building, there's a web up on the ceiling. It's very scary movie-like. I like Mm -hmm. it. Then the doctor goes to pick up a package for the cons that was left at the neighbor's. But Anna isn't answering the door for her colleague, Dr. Jade McIntyre, who came to check on her because she hasn't been to work in a few days. Upon entering, they find the house filled with cobwebs and Anna wrapped up like a shroud. When they locate the giant spider, the doctor lays a line of vinegar to keep the creature trapped and she does speak to it. Yeah, it was cool. Do you think that they're actually having a conversation? I mean, we've seen the doctor do this in the past. Matt Smith could talk to babies. Uh, I don't see why not. Oh, that's a good point. Because what I was going to say is it's not as though this is an alien creature. We were suspecting, I think we were meant to suspect for a long time. And in that case, it's absolutely feasible that the doctor would be able to talk to them. These, it turns out are just earthbound spiders that have been genetically altered and mutated from chemicals. So she would actually have to speak spider, (laughs) not an alien language, to communicate with them. Well, the show doesn't say if she does or doesn't. I think maybe it was more about the tone. Mm -hmm. Reassuring Um, it. Yeah. I think that was better. If the spider started talking back, that would have been a little bit too much. I think it, yeah, it would have felt cheesy. Yeah. And it's as though she's immediately picking up on the fact, even though it's not an alien creature, doesn't mean it's not a life form that deserves respect and is actually more frightened of us than we are of them. The scene in this apartment had a lot of nice jump scares. And I like how Chibnall was 
slowly unraveling, excuse my <laughs> pun, the storyline as we went along in this episode. Yes. There's the first clue here that Jade admits she knows more. This wasn't the first incident with spiders. We learn she's a zoology research fellow at the university specializing in arachnids, who has been investigating bizarre behaviors in the local ecosystem. Prior to that, they were experimenting on the spiders, utilizing their genetic strengths, working on an enzyme to increase the lifespan as the spider keeps growing as long as it lives and creates silk as strong as steel. This is where the doctor comments it could stop a plane in mid-flight, as she did with Amelia Earhart. Now, this is a good callback. There have been a few references throughout Doctor Who history to Amelia Earhart, but we've never gotten... A TV version of it. Right, a full-on adventure with her to explore that. I hope they're tipping that off for the future, because I think that That would would be be an excellent character for us to visit. A show that we just recently reviewed, Sharp Objects. Amy Adams actually plays Amelia Earhart in A Night at the Museum. I think the second one? Oh, or the third one. Yeah, yeah, I forgot we met her. She was her great in that. that. McIntyre continues to say they've been getting reports of unusual activity in the area over the past three months. Rare spider sightings, increases in numbers, but all different species. There doesn't really seem to be a pattern. The doctor, though thinks they've been trying to send a message and realize their webs mark a central point on the map, the hotel. So we switch over to the hotel where we get this scene of Frankie filming herself going to investigate, saying everything she did here was against her better judgment. And because she signed a non-disclosure agreement, she can't talk about it. It appears she's trying to expose them now, yet before she can finish, she is attacked. While this was going on, I thought, for sure she's going to die here. You don't go down there alone. But she wasn't trying to expose the spider. She didn't even know about the spiders. I came to realize once the episode was over, she was just going to expose the garbage. The dumping. Yeah. Right. And while this is happening, upstairs, Yaz meets her mother, and Robertson continues to insist she's fired, showing her the webs in the room she failed to clean out. He then goes for a scheduled bathroom break. We've read time and time again with these moguls, and they schedule everything. They wear almost the same clothing every day so that they don't waste mental energy. They have timed sections of the day where they eat, where they go to the bathroom. They're just trying to show that he's one of those overly anal, overly prepared when it comes to himself. But we do come to realize later on, he does not waste any mental energy on anything else but himself. I also thought it could have been because he was a bit of a germaphobe and he's dealing with this dirty people, this dirty hotel... I think so. They were trying to allude to that when he was washing his hands. Mm -hmm. But I think it's stronger if it's not about germs. It's just about his psychology and self-involvement. Yeah, and not even germs exactly the way other people fear illness. But the fact that these people, the situation, everything is below him. Yeah. And he's kind of washing it off. Mm. A very good analogy for how he's symbolically trying to wash his hands of this entire mess, which he will not get away with. But in the bathroom, a spider breaks out of the tub, and Robertson pushes his way out of the room, throwing Kevin in instead, where he's wrapped in silk and dragged down the bath. So that was the queen, right? I don't think so. No? It looked like the largest one yet, but nowhere near as big as the queen. As You're the right. queen. You're right. That was pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, it was all kind of cheesy, scary. Yeah. it's That's probably why I liked it. The horror <laughs> comedy type of thing. So it's got a little bit of the f- scare factor. It's appropriate for Halloween. Kids could watch it, but it's not like we're literally jumping out of our seats. Robertson did not have to lock Kevin in. They could have just closed the door. Yeah, he's an ass. <laughs> the doctor calls Nadia to warn her of what's happening. And they all meet up at the hotel. We get our first glimpse of the psychic paper when the doctor shows it to Robertson, saying that they are crisis investigators. And we also get further backstory on Robertson as the others recognize him. And he admits he will most likely be running for presidency in 2020, but hasn't officially announced it yet. I love this scene in the kitchen. The doctor saying, I don't know who you are. Sorry, I don't know who you are. Oh, well, really? Because you must be the only person on the planet that doesn't. Are you a 
Sheeran? Is he Ed Sheeran? Everyone talks about Ed Sheeran round about now, don't they? I am not Ed Sheeran. I am Jack Robertson, and this is my hotel, just one hotel in an incredibly successful chain of hotels, which is just one small part of my business portfolio as featured in Fortune Global 500. Does that ring a bell? Should I look impressed right now? Is that impressive? He's running for president in 2020. Ed Sheeran? No, him. She also wonders why. Why this hotel is the epicenter of activity for the spiders? They try to make a plan for how they will stop them from getting out. She instructs the others they need to find plans of the hotel and a captive spider. I enjoyed this a lot more throughout this series so far. The doctor has been kind of divvying up tasks for the companions to accomplish. So they all have something to do, which is great instead of them just sitting there kind of clueless while the doctor works it all out on her own. But it felt a little forced in some of the previous episodes where it was like, okay, you'll go look at social media and you'll go try to find some information about this. And Graham, you'll just always go talk to the bus drivers (laughs) because that's your thing. But this felt more like a legitimate plan. I mean, Ryan and Graham actually had to go out and capture a spider. Wasn't big enough, though. (laughs) Yeah, that sucked. (laughs) And while they're hunting it down, they get to have this moment together where Ryan admits he read the letter that came from his father saying he was sorry for not being there at Grace's funeral. He wants to reconnect and says Ryan could come live with him now. But Ryan makes it clear that he doesn't see him as proper family. Well, yeah, the fact that the father would say that Graham isn't proper family, I think it's ridiculous. He doesn't even bother to call him to say, I'm sorry I missed your mother's funeral. He wrote a letter. And you can come live with me now. Now that all of this has passed, yeah. you know, why couldn't he come live with him before? Story-wise, I really love the fact that Chibnall is sprinkling this in every episode. Just enough to get our emotional cords going, but not too much where it seems drawn out. I'm, I'm really enjoying this whole storyline. Well, it's very realistic that Ryan wouldn't immediately be so emotionally connected to Graham. It's taking time. They're doing this slow burn of showing Graham is the one to be there day to day. And he was well before the doctor came, but Ryan was not open to it. Yeah. But when you start battling aliens and going into other worlds, you're going to bond. You form a bond. Yeah. Yeah. And the two manage to catch one of the spiders in a pot, no less, and run to escape the dozens of others that pursue them down the hallway. That was a funny scene, wasn't (laughs) it? It was a mixture of scare and funny. (laughs) Well, My favorite part is how they put the lid under the pot the same way you'd trap a mosquito in a cup. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But then here comes 30 spiders. (laughs) When they return, Robertson explains this hotel took five years to build and is one of 15 throughout the world. They repurposed industrial sites to turn into luxury venues on top of coal mines, as Nadia shares with us. This leads the doctor to her next answer. She unlocks the door to these tunnels and they start investigating. My favorite line of the episode when Robertson tries to stop him and she uses the sonic to open the door and says, dude, I have all the authorization I'll ever need. (laughs) I love that. Not only badass, perfect Doctor Who line. She uses the word dude. (laughs) The New Jersey in me was having a field day with that one. When you and your sister are around, it's like, Just dude, 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 dude. It's ridiculous. It was great. Well, they realized this is how the spiders have been moving throughout the city and cocooning people to save his food. Below, they find the coal mines the hotel was built on have been filled with waste, an illegal and toxic landfill. That's what Frankie was trying to tell them earlier about the site being unsafe. Robertson knew JLR was cutting corners and disposing of waste from their labs, including the spider carcasses, which weren't actually dead. Because they were bioengineered for stronger cobwebs and longer lives, combined with this endless food source and chemical toxicity to mutate, they have now turned into these enormous arachnids. Not quite efficient. A blocked inside pumping out methane and sulfides and trichloroethylene. Never mind the specialist material that hasn't been properly preserved. A soup of toxic waste, incredibly badly managed. I mean, there's no outlet for it. It's just building and marinating and becoming more and more toxic. It's a botched job. I didn't know. Yes, you did. That's what she was telling you when I saw you. 
How come with spiders, it's always about engineering them, bioengineering them? As in Spider-Man? Yeah. I don't know, because I don't think they do work with them super frequently in labs. I could be wrong. I think they do it more often. They don't do work like they do with rats to test for human things. They're doing it to test to make stronger rope or stronger vests and things like that. We read about that happening in the U.S. currently. But uh, it does make sense, though. I was being cheeky. We're always scared of spiders, but they're so small. If they were bigger... How scared would we be? Well, and I know that we discussed earlier how keeping them normal Earth spiders and not an alien species was interesting for this episode, but there was a part of me that wanted them to possess this higher level intelligence, and that's how they are typically portrayed in sci-fi depictions. There was a book, and of course, I'm not going to remember the name of it now if any of you Clatchers out there know about it, but they journeyed to a place where the predominant population was larger intelligent spiders. Well, the original Doctor Who spider episode, the spiders would latch on to the hosts, humans, and would control them, mind control them. Yeah. So that's... We're going to talk about that later in our spoiler section. Sorry. But it's not the first time that we've seen spiders by a long shot in the Doctor Who universe. You remind me. We should probably uh, talk about this briefly. So knowing that a lot of our Clatchers aren't old school Whovians, but a lot are, we're trying to balance that out. So when we talk during the meat of the podcast, we will reflect back to some old Doctor Who episodes, but we'll never divulge key moments that are epic and that are really pivotal, we save those for the spoiler section. So it's a mixture of both. That's correct. We will talk about thematic differences and similarities, how the doctor or the companions stack up to past times, in a general sense, what some of the callbacks mean. Otherwise, we would really be hobbled and not able to say anything when we did our initial Doctor Who guide introduction. It felt extremely challenging, but we did want to make this a place where everyone could join in. And so we'll give you that amount of information so you can kind of understand, at least if you haven't seen past episodes, what in the hell they're talking about. But any major plot line spoilers, big time reveals from Doctor Who, I'm talking Game of Thrones, Red Wedding level events, that we will keep to our spoiler section. I know that the style might not be for everyone. The longtime Doctor Who fans might be saying, we'll just get to the meat of it already and when it happened, whereas the newcomers might be saying, that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. So we're trying to find that balance. Yeah, it's a different kind of podcast for us. We're not used to juggling this. But continuing along in our plot, Robertson takes the group to the panic room and proposes using his guns to rid them of the spiders. But as Ryan predicts, the doctor doesn't like that idea and won't use violence to hurt them. Her idea is to lure them in here with the promise of food while they deal with the mother, who is the size of a van and living in the ballroom. Thus, they turn on the music loudly to draw them in with the vibrations. This podcast was made possible by our friends at Green Chef. By supporting Green Chef... You're supporting us, and we know you're going to love Green Chef. Let us tell you why. Green Chef is a meal kit subscription service, a USDA-certified organic company that includes everything you need to easily cook delicious meals you can feel good about. Everything is hand-picked and delivered right to your door. They have a wide variety of high-quality ingredients that come pre-measured, perfectly proportioned, and mostly prepared. The recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you along. And they include an array of recipes that range from global cuisines to classic comfort foods. Now, I know for us working multiple jobs, trying to get things done for the podcast, cooking is normally the last thing on our list, the last thing we have time for. I tell you, all we've been doing lately is ordering bad food. (laughs) We just don't have time. But this whole process with Green Chef was so easy. First, we just had to select if we were cooking for two people or a whole family, and then pick a meal plan. Their plans include paleo, vegan, vegetarian, keto, gluten-free, omnivore, and carnivore. So of course, Jason, you selected for both of us that we would do carnivore. When we opened that box, I did not expect to see what I did. I've heard commercials and podcasts talking about meals like this, but I never imagined how fun it would be to actually open it up. For us, it was a surprise. We didn't know what was coming to us. 
Everything was in its own package. It looks so professional. And this booklet with pictures of what it's supposed to look like and everything you need to do step by step. I don't think I'll ever be able to go without Green Chef. This is for sure spoiled us. It even came with a card that had a handwritten note welcoming us to Green Chef. The bags that go with each meal are color-coded, meaning we put them in the refrigerator and when we're ready to cook, we can easily find what we need. I'm really excited. The two recipes we have for this week are sunflower crusted chicken and curry spiked steaks and chutney. This is going to widen my palate and it smelled amazing. (laughs) I couldn't just, I stuck my head in a box and I was just like, amazing. Also, the first thing I'm going to do is recommend it to my mother because they have gluten-free meal plan options, which are so hard to find the right ingredients and build quality meals if you're gluten-free. And here's what you need to do. Simply pick your subscription plan and delivery day, and you'll get convenient weekly deliveries right to your door. Plus, there's no minimum commitment, and you can easily switch up your meal plan and change the box whenever you want. The reality is anything we say will not do it justice. What you have to do is give it a try. And for our Clatchers, you can get $50 off your first box of Green Chef. Just go to greenchef.us forward slash CKC. Give it a try for $50 off. Go to greenchef.us, not .com, .us forward slash CKC. No grocery shopping, no meal planning, no guesswork, no problem. Go to greenchef.us forward slash CKC. It makes sense. The doctor knows the spiders are just being spiders. They're not evil aliens out to get the human species. And even if they were, she'd find a different way other than killing them. Yeah, here's where this got tricky, though, making them not alien species. If they were violent, she would try to get them to leave, go back where they came from. If they were peaceful, she would try to find another place for them to go to save the race. You can't do any of that. And these types of spiders cannot exist on Earth. It's not right for us or for them. And we're left with the only answer being they're going to have to die. This felt undoctor. Well, yet again, I think our primary issue this season is they went super hard with the nonviolent approach for the doctor. It feels like they cross their own ideas at times. They don't have a firm grasp of how to handle that. Mm -hmm. So the doctor wants to give them a merciful death at least, right? That's the best she can do. Okay, if that's the best she can do and we have no other ideas, why is letting them die slowly... By suffocation and Better than a quick gunshot to the head in that scenario. I know we don't use guns, but wouldn't a quick death be preferable here? Isn't that more humane? Yeah, I I wonder the same thing, but I don't have another option in my head. What else would you do? A quick death, rather than leaving them to slowly starve. So like blow up that room or something? I don't know, poison? I don't know, something that's Uh, like, maybe you can find something that's a little less painful, like a a fast-acting thing that won't just, just die immediately. Or isn't there any place in the universe where they how would you get them be? i don't know <laughs> but if you're gonna go with the quick death again here it felt contradictory i understand yeah. robertson is terrible the way he's approaching this is terrible but her idea doesn't really make any more sense no. because they're suffering yeah they don't show him suffering but we know that they're going to be suffering They show the mother suffering pretty greatly. And I think that's just supposed to be an example of what could happen because she has grown so large that she can't breathe properly. That's torture. She can't even move around the room. Absolutely. Before we go there, the last little gripe I had was Ryan was playing this loud music, right? Mm -hmm. Apparently, all the spiders in that building came in. And as soon as they closed the gate, I was like, how do they know that's every single one? One. Two, we know there's spiders out there in town. Mm-hmm. What about those? Yep. Because one of those will create havoc. Yep. And we know there's probably more than one out there. Well, we know f- for sure. That, did the doctor uh, get rid of the one that was next door to Yaz's family? I don't think so. The last we saw, she just locked it in that room. There's no way they traveled all the way back to the hotel because of loud music. I wondered if that's what they were insinuating. And coming back to our kind of spider facts, if they're viewing the building as a web okay, maybe everyone in the building would come to that. Maybe. That's even a bit of a stretch, but certainly not everyone in the town. So a little bit of a gripe. 
the one thing that I, I think Chibnall is having trouble with is that every episode is its own story mm. and he doesn't have that much time. So when it comes to wrapping it up, he kind of tries to wrap it up real quick. Quick. Too quick. Almost too, yeah. Right. Too quick. Where he doesn't have the loose end. Yeah, my two minor gripes too. And like I said at the top, this is my favorite episode of the series so far. Yeah, me too. I love it. I am absolutely willing to let the little things go, such as the fact that I didn't like this song. It was <laughs> super jarring. I think we're getting old, honey. <laughs> that could be. Now, I don't mind the whole idea of it. It's kind of, as I said last time, I think bringing in the contemporary pop culture songs, even the ones I do like, feel a little jarring. It pulls us out of the episode, even if it is kind of badass, and it was. Ryan was having a badass moment yeah. in the Rosa episode. It That really didn't me work. Oh, actually, it made me swell up a little bit emotionally, oh. but it also took me right out of the episode, and it dates it. Yeah. It dates it horribly. I think that he's doing an excellent job with the scoring, the sounds that are underneath, anything that isn't an actual song. And I wonder why he doesn't just stick with that. I, they're trying to get the young crowd back into it. Matt Smith, they had a lot of young followings, mm. which was helping them. Like Doctor Who was huge. Uh, they're trying to get that crowd back. Gotcha. To be honest with you, a song like this during present time is fine. Because it's dating it for 2018. But they're in 2018. So that's, that's okay. But that's not really going to hold up in the future. But it doesn't matter because it's 2018. Right. Just like okay. in 1950s, you do the 1950s songs. I get that you're time stamping it to yeah. that, that era. And but I think when you go back, like think about popular songs you're excited about now. Yeah. And they put them in shows. And when you go back later, you're like, oh, I'm sick of this song. This effing song again? Like it doesn't do the same thing for you. And I don't think it'll hold up the same way on a rewatch. Yeah, maybe. But I think also the important thing was that song had a lot of bass. And that's right. what the spiders. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. In a practical sense, it works really well. So let's move on to the mama. In the ballroom, they find her. Because she has grown so large, she's dying. And she's more scared of the humans. Readily apparent. I mean, they did a fantastic job with a non-human insect yeah. portraying those emotions and feelings. I bought that she was terrified. And I mm -hmm. felt empathy for her. Me too, which a is a challenge spider. in its own. Yeah, they did really well with that. One thing that I really loved, and this is a nerd in me, she runs in, her, Yaz, and I think Yaz's mom. <laughs> her mom. You're not even saying it right. Yaz's mom. <laughs> what they had on, the little backpacks with the perfumes. Mm, Ghostbusters? Is, yeah, Ghostbusters. Because Ghostbusters 1, the first job they had was in a ballroom at a hotel. I thought, I thought it was awesome. The same thing. Perfect. And it's funny because when we were watching the episode, we didn't say that to each other. <laughs> no, but we both felt it. As we said, unfortunately, before the doctor can assure her this humane death, whatever that means, Robertson bursts in and shoots the spider, killing her to the disgust of the others. And rather than try to explain what they did do with all of them and what a humane death means, they just sort of cut it from there. You're going to hate me, but I really think that was the most humane thing to do. I mean, we've seen... Leave and them in a room to starve? Oh, no, no, the queen. I'm sorry. <gasps> yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, when a horse is so injured that you can't fix her or him, you got to put it down because it's suffering. That's the same case. As quickly and painlessly as possible. And that was it right there. The but whole still, issue... I hate him. Right. <laughs> the whole issue was those weren't his intentions. That's not the place Robertson was coming from, that he cared about this creature and wanted to ensure that they didn't suffer anymore. He's an egomaniac who was only worried about himself and the success of his hotel. So I don't know that his idea was bad. His whole personality is bad. Let's get him the hell out of here. They also didn't really tell us what's going to happen to this enormous landfill underneath a building that's releasing toxic chemicals building up down there. And the 1,500 other hotels that presumably some of them have the same thing happening. Well, for sure they do. That's part of his deal. He makes that money up front 
and then slowly makes the money with hotels. Hotels don't make money right away. Mm-hmm. It, they have so much debt when they first open up. So the slow burn comes later. Um, I really think we're going to get a TV thing of him getting arrested or something mm. where later on we're going to be like, oh, shit, yes, he finally got his. Well, and we know it's not just hotels he owns. So presumably there could be other corrupt things happening with his other business ventures. But we leave it there for now. Our last scene, we come to Ryan, Yaz, and Graham, who after contemplating returning to their normal lives, all go back to the TARDIS and tell the Doctor they've decided they would rather come with her. They want more of the universe and more time with the Doctor. She warns them, I can't guarantee you'll be safe. You're not going to come back as the same people that left here. So be sure. Be sure. All of you. Be sure. 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 Therefore. Look at you. My fam. No, still didn't quite work. Team Tardis? We'll take that. Welcome aboard. We get a new name for them, and I hope that they stick with this. I know they were moving away from companions. I don't think any of us old Whovians will ever really give up on that terminology. But friends, fam, none of that was doing it for me. I like Team TARDIS. Yeah, Team TARDIS is cool. It feels like the crew, how we refer to ourselves. We close the episode with them all pulling the lever together to start their next adventure. I'm excited. Well, Jason, that takes us to our official rating for episode four. I'm sure you all have a pretty good handle on how we're feeling, but on a scale of one to 10 Sonics, what do you give this one? Honestly, I really enjoyed this episode. It played well with the frame of mind I was already in, which is Halloween. We just finished watching The Haunting of Hill House. Today's Monday. We got two more days till Halloween. And this was a Halloween-type episode. We had our Doctor Who humor starting to really latch on to this team. And Yaz's family, Ryan's family, of course. So for this, I'm going to grade it the highest for the season. I'm going to go 8.7 Sonics. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I I think I pretty much said it all at the top of the episode. It's the exact right note, in my opinion, for this time in the series. It's what we really needed. I, too, am a sucker for time-themed things. Halloween is my favorite time of the year, and I like the episode came in with that in mind. I'm feeling a sense of surety about this show again, and I really appreciate that. So I, too, am going to give it my highest rating yet. So far, I've been at an 8, 8.5, and 7. I think I have to go 8.8. Because I definitely felt a few ticks up from the ghost monument. I think you're just trying to always go a little higher than me. Well, an 8.7 wouldn't quite do it. That's so close to an 8.5 for episode two. But I'm not ready to go all the way up to a nine yet. I want to save that. I think seeing the trend now, we might continue to build. And that'll take us to our most valuable companion for the week. Clatchers, if you follow us at CKC Podcast on Twitter, after every episode, we ask you, who is your MVC, most valuable companion? And this week, our four options were Yaz, Ryan, Graham, and Dr. Jade McIntyre. Coming in at last place with 6% is Dr. Jade McIntyre. I thought she was a really strong character. She added so much to the storyline. But of course, in the end, she didn't, you know, she wasn't someone who would be there to fix things. She's not a fixer in the episode. So that makes sense. But it does continue with the trend of pretty well fleshed out secondary characters that are one offs for the episode, but we come to appreciate them. She had the job of heavy lifting through some exposition, but I felt was handled well. And I enjoyed her. Coming in at third with 12% was Ryan. I think the big progression with him in this episode, because it wasn't as Ryan-centric perhaps, was the continued relationship building with Graham. He got his nice key moment with the music and bringing the spiders in, but emotionally, we really furthered that dynamic. And second place with 17% is Graham. 
He had his emotional moments. He had his funny moments. Graham is Graham. I'm loving him. Yeah, I kind of thought he would get even more than that. However, I knew the winner, and by a landslide, 65% is yes. Oh, this was the Yaz episode we've all been waiting for, right? As we said, there's still so much more to be seen of her, but what we've gotten is fantastic. And believe it or not, she's won by our highest margin this series so far. It seems the Clatchers feel the same. Amir wrote in to say, seeing all the spiders really creep me out. But it was nice to see Yaz develop and the ending really was sweet. And Jeff wrote in to say, if it weren't for Yaz having everyone over for tea, this episode wouldn't have happened. Good point. That's true. That leads me to the question I always have with Doctor Who. Does trouble find her or does she find trouble? Well, we've learned over the years. Number one, the TARDIS points her in the direction of trouble. Nine out of ten, it knows where she's needed and brings her there. But number two, she wants an adventure, regardless if that's going to be a challenge or it's going to be difficult. There's no way the doctor could just sit around her flat, lounging on her sofa for very long. Purple sofa. That's right. And finally, Brian said, It was great to see Yaz's family and give her a bit more development. All three companions stepped up this week, but I gave it to Yaz because of that. And our other Brian Clatcher wrote, I actually watched relatively early this week. They were all kind of equal in my book. All right. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, you really contributed. (laughs) No, I understand what you're saying. When we were writing that down, there wasn't that much of a standout in those regards. And for that reason, I'm going to cheat. Okay. Are you giving it to someone not on our list? I have a cheat code. I'm giving it to Nadia. Oh, okay. Whenever she was on screen, I really enjoyed her. I loved the way she felt like she was part of the crew when Mm -hmm. she was on scene. And um, yeah, for that, I'm giving it to her. I could definitely see that. I really enjoyed her as well. I'm hoping, though, that's not the last we see of her. I'm going to go with the Clatchers on this one. I haven't given it to Yaz yet, and I was excited to see more of her. I think she takes the episode, but there's going to be bigger moments for her coming up in this series. Also, we mentioned last episode, I was kind of wondering if they were playing around with shipping Ryan and Yaz. It's worth noting There was a clear reference, allusion to the potential shipping of Yaz and the Doctor in this episode. As Nadia asks if Yaz is seeing the Doctor. And the Doctor sort of goes, well, I don't know, are we? (laughs) I mean, it could have been the fact that she doesn't understand that terminology and she doesn't know what seeing each other means. But I don't think so. I think there were also some comments that you could take as illusions of Yaz being a little enamored with the doctor. Now, whether that's romantic or not, again, it is kind of up for speculation. Towards the end, Yaz says she's the most incredible person that she's ever met. And when the others say they want to come along for more adventures, she says, and for more you. I like that they're keeping it intentionally vague. I kind of hope that no relationship develops amongst any of them. I said, There's no need. I said that previously. I like the dynamic of having them more as a family. I think that's interesting. But I don't mind the the comment here or there keeping us guessing about it. So Clatchers, you can join in on the conversation by tweeting us, Facebooking us, or emailing us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, or calling in and leaving us a voicemail. Just call 252-368-6606. Leave a message and we'll play it on the podcast. It's really fun. This has been used often in our Patreon podcasts. Not so much yet for our TV review episodes, but I think once someone breaks the ice, (laughs) it'll start happening more often. Agreed. And speaking of breaking the ice, Brian went ahead and did it and left us a review on the Doctor Who specific page. If you go to iTunes, we have our main Coffee Clutch Crew channel, but there is also the Doctor Who channel. And that's where we've been asking for your help to spread the word about the podcast and get more listeners. You can do that by giving a rate and review. Even just a word or two would help us out enormously. So thank you, Brian. We love what you wrote. You speak the truth. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you to Lewis. We saw on Facebook that you're telling other people to listen to us. We see it, we love it, and we want more of it. That's going to wrap it up for the main part of this episode review, and we're going to move into spoilers now. So if you're afraid of that, we'll see you next time for episode five. For those of you still here, we had a couple of other illusions we mentioned. We talked about how this is not the first time the doctor has had encounters with spiders. 
It started out in the 1974 episode, Planet of the Spiders. And that was with the third doctor, John Pertwee, who faced off against a race of superintelligent spiders capable of controlling human minds. They were known as the Eight Legs. The doctor allowed the leader of the race, called the Great One, to destroy themselves, but received a deadly dose of radiation in the process that forced him to regenerate into the fourth doctor. Then, with Sarah Jane Smith, there was an episode that had an image of her with a giant spider on her back that was later echoed by the time beetle squatting on Donna. I remember that. Yeah, that was in Left Turn in 2008. And then in the 2006 Christmas special, The Runaway Bride, the Doctor and Donna faced off against the Empress of Rachnos, a human arachnid living at the center of the Earth. In fact, in an alternate reality, she drowned the 10th Doctor beneath the Thames. Ooh. You would think, after all of this, the Doctor would have some serious arachnophobia. (laughs) We also got information about our next episode, Five, which is called the Saranga Conundrum. Injured and stranded in the wilds of a far-flung galaxy, the Doctor and her companions must band together with a group of strangers to survive against one of the universe's most deadly and unusual creatures. In this episode, we go back to the future. And it's not the first time that we go into the future into a hospital. And every one of those episodes have been really fun for me. A group of strangers that they're going to unite with... And what could be the universe's most deadly and unusual creatures? We got a list before we started this series of what some of the upcoming aliens and enemies were going to be, as well as the series mysteries. And for aliens, I think we've actually covered them all so far, except something called laser gun men and ribbons. Ribbons. And that's not the remnants, because the remnants are listed separately. They're not really ribbons anyway, but... Well, only time will tell. (laughs) So with a new enthusiasm for this show, we look forward to covering that next week. Clatchers, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Remember, go to greenchef.us forward slash CKC to get $50 off your first box. Give it a try. Trust me, we opened the box. It was well worth it. It's, if not the same price, cheaper than ordering out and having someone deliver food for you. And it's better food, let's be honest. Definitely healthier. And the meals are generally 30 minutes or less to prepare. So it keeps your life easy too. No shopping, everything's delivered right to your door. When I tell you these recipe cards that they have look gorgeous, they have photos, they make it simple to cook your next restaurant quality meal. We'll have to post some more pictures so you can see the ingredients, the way they come packaged inside. It's beautiful delivery. Remember, by supporting them, you support us. So that's greenchef.us forward slash CKC. Till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.